Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. The demands of HR and payroll are endless, and that's why Zenium provides a complete solution for both. So you can focus on what you do best, which is growing your business. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. All right, today's guest is James Ferguson. He's the author of the Confetti Culture Playbook, How to Boost Your Team's Contribution and Impact. I love this discussion with James. He's from the hospitality industry, an industry that has lots of turnover and it's hard to engage employees. James talks about why putting people first and building a great employee experience is key to engaging your employees. And at the end of the day, you engage your employees and they're happy. They're going to take care of the customers. That's how it works. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with James. It was a really fun discussion. I think you're going to learn a lot about what he's done. There's a lot of great tips and takeaways that you can implement in your organization. Make sure to connect with James on social media. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. Love connecting with listeners there. Thanks so much for the download and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. James, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, Brandon. Thank you so much, man. I just want to kick this off before you jump in. You know, I want to give you your flowers uh, because your show is phenomenal. Uh, I think, as I said, off screen here, uh, I listen to it every morning when I go into work and, and it gives me inspiration. It also reaffirms the things that I believe in and work towards. So uh, you're doing a lot of good with a lot of people. And I just want to say thank you for having me on. Thank you. I have a really fun time facilitating conversations, honestly, like the, my guests, people like you are the ones adding value. And I'm just here to have a conversation. I'm trying here to learn. Honestly, I'm just trying to be as curious as possible. So that way, listeners can get the most out of it. So they can go back to their workplace and try to implement even if it's a couple things like that's all I that's all I want is to have uh, people go make a great workplace. That's that's what it's all about. So yeah, absolutely. And it, and yeah. it does it really does. Good. Well, you come from the hospitality industry. Um, last few years have been pretty chaotic. I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like you've been in it for so long. Was the culture like before and after? Let's go before, during and after pandemic related times. I'm, I'm just curious what, what it's been like. That's a good question. You know, I, I would say this, unfortunately, the answer is it hasn't really changed all that much in regards to culture because hospitality industry is actually one of the worst in regards to employee turnover. So you know, before pandemic, we were at like 75% turnover based on a 10% average. And so we've always sort of had that challenge. And, you know, during the pandemic, obviously, there was a lot of turnover because we were forced to just like anybody else. But one of the cool things that we, we got to do actually when we, you know, closed down was is do a little bit more for the employees, spend a little more time with them, because instead of spending time with the guests or focus on the guests, we could focus on the employees. So a lot of things that I did through the pandemic helped inspire what ultimately got put in the book. And, you know, but I think right now, just like a lot of teams, the morale and motivation is low. And so we're all building that back up and finding new ways to do that. You know, just like the hospitality business is coming back and, and coming back strongly. There's still a lot of work to be done from a culture standpoint. You know, again, I hope my book is, is helpful in some small way. 
Yeah, and we're going to get into the details of your book. I, I want to know a little bit more about the culture of the hospitality industry. Like, why is it suffering so much? Like, pandemic aside, like you said, it was, it's always struggled. Like, what are, what are the reasons behind that? I think from my experience, and I talk about it in the book, is that, you know, a lot of us are just focused or told to focus on putting heads in beds, hmm. you know, focusing on the almighty dollar and the guests and not the people working hard to earn it That's for us. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when when any company realizes, especially from a leadership standpoint, that you're no longer responsible for the guests, but more so responsible for the people responsible for the guests, uh, that's when you start to change your culture. And um, that's the same with any company. You know, obviously, our customers are what drive revenue, but the people that take care of those people are our employees. So we can find ways to ensure that they're seen, heard, and supported. Our employees will do that for the, the customer. Yeah. I always felt like, you put your people first before profit. So like focusing on the customer, focusing on profit. Like I think that's, it should be a byproduct of how you treat your people. Like you take care of your people, they take care of your customers. Like that's a byproduct. And it's so interesting how, yeah, hospitality industry and, and honestly, other industries aren't immune to it where they just focus on the wrong thing first. Yeah. I mean, I think just business in general, you, you do focus on on the profits, but um, it's more about, you know, I always say it's people, process, product, and then profit. And if you get that order right, you start to see the results on the other end. Yeah. Your book is called The Confetti Culture Playbook, How to Boost Your Team's Contribution and Impact. You start the book with the importance of setting expectations. And I, I'm curious, is this like a very core component, at least from what you believe, do you think setting expectations is like that core piece, foundational piece for building a great culture? I think so. I think it definitely starts with that. You know, a lot of people, myself included, I'm sure you have experience too, you know, coming into a job, having your own version of what you think the expectations are for the role. And then if it's not done properly, you find out later because you either are making the wrong decisions or you're doing it the wrong way that, oh, wait, we were supposed to do it this way all along, but nobody told you that. And then, you know, some people will take that and run with it and you'll get in trouble, right? There'll be ramifications for what you're doing, but you didn't even realize it was wrong. So I think when you set expectations, both with a job description and sort of creating a roadmap for your team for success, whether it's through checklists or SOPs or whatever else, by doing that, you create a clear roadmap for your team. And when you have that, the rest kind of takes care of itself because then the questions come up, how do we elevate that instead of how do I find it? I always like to make the comparison of like managing people and leading people to parenting. I'm sure you can relate to this. It's like when my life is chaotic at home, it's likely because I didn't set expectations for my kids. Like my kids are like nine and 10 years old. So like they're pushing boundaries, my friend, like they, (laughs) like my patience level is being pushed constantly. But one of the things when you wrote about setting expectations, I'm like, oh yeah, like it does start with me a little bit. You know, if I set expectations and what's expected of them, boundaries, they act a lot better. And it's the same with employees. Right. And everything rises and falls on leadership. And, and, and as I normally share, too, like my leadership style, I always say is a parenting style because I'm constantly looking to nurture and encourage the behaviors I want to continue to see. And I talk about that in the book about how, you know, just like, you know, I have three girls under three. So I'm with you on pushing boundaries. Oh, wow. Um, you're, you're in it, though. You're like it went <laughs> under three years old. That's that's in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot. So but yeah, you know, it's, it's the same with when you're trying to encourage them to walk or encourage them to eat or try new things or whatever it is like they're going to continue to do what you encourage and nurture. Uh, and it's the same thing with your team. If you're finding ways to encourage and nurture your team, find the positive, seek the good and celebrate it 
they're going to do more of that. If you're constantly trying to find them to do wrong, you're not setting expectations, but finding reasons to get them in trouble or whatever it is, you know, that's going to be reflecting in that feeling that they have is going to ultimately decide whether they stick around or not. Yeah. The thing about expectations that is is tough is, you know, I think most people can wrap their head around like, oh yeah, I onboard a new employee. Let's set ground rules day one. But I think it's first for a lot of people stops at some point and they're like, oh, they already know. So I don't need to over, I don't need to communicate this over and over again. I, I know that you believe like communicating it frequently, reviewing ground rules and expectations is really important to just the process of leadership and making sure you have a, a great team, you know, cohesive team, all that stuff. How do you like to reinforce expectations? Like, is there a certain method? Is there a, a format in which you do that? Uh, well, I mean, if I take over a team, I usually hand them a one sheet that gives them the general expectations that we should collectively commit to. And then what I typically do per department is I create what's called a roadmap or a habit building checklist so that each team member that runs a department understands the key actions that they should do daily that will get them to their success level that they want to be at. And what that does, is, again, is it creates the habit. So it's less about, let me catch you not checking something off. It's more about what am I supposed to do and where's my time supposed to go? Is it you know supposed to be what everyone tells me I'm supposed to do? Or is it this sheet right here that tells me exactly what to do? And so again, it just helps build habits. And when you build habits, you create consistency. And when you create consistency, uh, it builds culture and, and improvement in the business and operation. Yeah. You mentioned in the book, I'm trying to remember what role you had. Maybe it just wasn't in there. Uh, it sounded like a team lead or maybe a general manager type of role where you instituted a daily huddle. You felt like it needed some sort of realignment meeting, especially when you're working with different shifts. I, I'm sure like passing along communication gets lost if you don't have some sort of check-in. Talk about why you created that daily huddle? What kind of results did you have to in the end? Yeah. So as I share in the book, you're right. You know, it kind of made things from night and day because the team, what they were doing in that example was, you know, everybody would come in every day, do what they're supposed to do, be lined to their office. And only when shit hit the fan, did they come together. And at that point, they're pointing fingers, placing blame and trying to protect themselves and their outlook. So that was immediately observed. And huddle is something that's usually a staple with hotels. But even with that said, a lot of them don't do it. And what happens is if they're not done properly, they don't add value. Just like anything, right? If they're not done properly, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. So what I did was I, I reinstituted it. I made sure everybody was there. It became a mandatory thing. And as people understood the value it brought, more people started to buy in. More people were interested and started to show up. People beyond the group that I initially told. And what Huddle does is it allows you to communicate, collaborate, create cohesiveness, and celebrate daily. And those four C's lead to engagement, empowerment, enablement, and success as a team. So when you do those four C's, it really does change the game. And again, the biggest thing I could say here is it creates consistency, it creates accountability for you to create that consistency, and then has a positive interaction every day for your team so that you guys can come together and do those things. What I remember you writing was that I think there was a huddle before you were there or took over this and, and then it didn't work. It fizzled out or something. And then I think you were, you're trying to put it back and then there's some resistance and like, oh, it doesn't work. But it was probably the way in which somebody's going about it. So if, if you could think what's going to make a huddle fail versus like a successful one, what are the differences between the, like a successful one and one that will fail? So, you know, I always say with huddle, um, you have the opportunity as a leader. I always think, you know, my, we talked offline about sports. I always have or see a correlation to sports and coaching to any team, any business. And that's the way I look at it. So I see myself as a coach. So just like a coach in the locker room 
at the beginning of a game, at halftime, or at the end of a game. You have an opportunity to cast vision and speak things into existence and speak people into action. So if you communicate expectations, whether it's for the day, the week, the month, whatever's coming up, you allow your team to communicate what they're doing, and but also let us know about where the landmines are and how we can support each other. Because basically what was happening is they'd be like, yeah, I'm here today. I'm going to do these couple of things. All right, see ya. And that was it. But when you as a leader are the one that's facilitating the conversation and you're asking the questions and you're making sure that if there's a call out that you're going to make sure that everyone in that room comes and supports them through that problem so that they're not on an island and not you know, feeling overwhelmed. When you start to do that enough, there's a lot of buy-in to that. So people don't feel like they're overwhelmed anymore. They feel like they have that collective responsibility. And then you know, the other thing is celebration. You know, it's, it's, it's all about finding opportunity to, again, celebrate your team, whether it's through feedback that you got, whether it's through, you know, just getting engaged, having a baby, um, you know, getting a promotion, whatever it is, there's always opportunity to celebrate things and allowing your team to share those stories and get a little bit more personal also adds an element of vulnerability and comfortability that isn't there normally. Um, this is mostly an audio only podcast, but we, we try to do video every once in a while, but you, you just threw some confetti in the air and your book is the confetti culture. What was that? What's up with the confetti? Like what, why, why that? Great question. So confetti is a tool that helps people understand not only the importance of recognition and reward in a company culture, but more importantly, it's a tool that helps elevate the experience. You know, as a leader, everything rises and falls on your shoulders and the energy you bring every day is vital. It sets the tone. So if you come in, you're negative, uh, that's going to be very contagious to your team. But if you come in and you're positive and you throw confetti any chance you get and you use that as an accountability tool to recognize and reward your team, it elevates the experience for your team. Right. You know, and I always share like, you know, the only time you really see confetti is at New Year's, you know, the Super Bowl at a championship game. And so that's few and far between. That's once a year, maybe. Right. And it, you can't help but to smile when you see exactly. it. Like I'm smiling exactly. right now where I wasn't really necessarily smiling before. But it's like there's something about it that you just want to celebrate and like kind of laugh and smile and kind of make, just make fun of yourself. And in some ways, it's like it's goofy, right? Yeah, exactly. So it just lightens up the mood. And, uh, you know, as I say in my book, it takes a room that's doom and gloom and makes it mm-hmm. kaboom. You know, and it just <laughs> it, it just takes it to another level. And that's that's the fun and the fundamentals that I talk about and and it, and it does elevate. Now it's a pain in the butt to clean up. I'm not gonna lie to you. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Just get a shop vac or something is fine. Yeah, but it, it's it, it does make it a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I wanna go back to the daily huddle because I, I want listeners to at least get some takeaways with this because I actually never had a daily huddle. I've never instituted one. I probably probably could. I think for certain industries it makes a lot of sense, especially when there needs to be a, a, like a realignment every day. Uh, and information passed back and forth. But is there a certain like question that you start with at the daily huddles or a format to it? How long is it? I'm just, there's so many questions I have about it, but like if you could give us some details, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So I actually do have a form that I'd be actually happy to give out for free to any listeners that are on here. If you go to my website, theconfetticultureplaybook.com, message me on there, I will give it to you. But yeah, you know, it starts with sharing stories. So whether it's celebrating a team member that went above and beyond that they witnessed, whether it's sharing a story about getting proposed to the night before, whatever it is, sharing stories is the key to kick it off. 
And again, that helps people to see what you value and also celebrate people for things that you may not know otherwise. And then going into communication again, and that's where the, the leader facilitates it by communicating, set of expectations, casting vision. Those are the things that help people understand what to do, how to do it and why we do it. And then collaboration again, if people got stuff going on, there's call outs. That's where they communicate that out. And you, you support them in whatever way they need. And you do it as a group, right? It's the leader is involved with that. It's not like you go help them. It's we're going to help you today. The other part is cohesiveness. Look, not everybody loves team building, but there's a lot of fun things that you can do that add value to your team or just create a fun memory that people can look back on, whether it's, you know, using toilet paper to wrap people up like a mummy, whether it's doing different team building things, you know, there's just so many things you can do, right? That you can look up online, but every once in a while, I'll sprinkle that in just to add some fun to the thing. And then celebration again, you add that confetti, whether it's you're looking at your KPIs. I mean, in the hotel industry, there's intent to recommend, there's elite appreciation, there's cleanliness scores, all these different things. And so when we do well with those, we celebrate it. And then if we don't, there's also accountability piece where we, we talk about how we can improve it. So yeah, by doing those things every day, again, you create that accountability and you create some ownership and that helps to expand leadership across the board and, and helps elevate everybody. I've always noticed that organizations that recognize and appreciate their people like genuinely they tend to have a special culture. What are some like intentional ways that you like to recognize and appreciate the people and even to get them like peer to peer recognizing and appreciating each other? I'm, I'm sure the daily huddle you you had you sprinkle that in there, but there's got to be some other ways that you you probably have large staff. So I'm sure you have to be really intentional about it. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways I talk about in my book about, you know, the kindness wall, which is, you know, basically a wall full of post-its. And, you know, it's for PDA, public displays of appreciation. Uh, and it just allows people to say, hey, thank you so much for your support yesterday. I couldn't have done it without you. Or thank you so much for your ideas. I didn't even think of that. We're moving forward with it or whatever it is. And so that's a great way to do it. You know, one of the other things you can do is, is have like an appreciation station with thank you cards or birthday cards so that employees can kind of write those things to each other, attach it to their paychecks every Friday. But I think the most impactful, especially from the leader's standpoint, is doing walkabouts daily. Because if you're seeing people in action and telling them thank you for that in the moment, because a lot of things with appreciation can feel generic, right? But if you're walking around, again, for hotels, there's always people buzzing around doing things, whether it's cleaning the lobby, cleaning a room, checking people in, uh, you know, grabbing breakfast after it's closed. Like there's so many opportunities, right? So if I'm constantly around, constantly seeking the good and celebrating them for it. That's going to change the game more than anything else, more than celebrating national holidays or the appreciation kindness wall. Like it's really the interaction, the relationships you build and having them know that they're seen, heard and supported that really changes the game. Communication, you talk about this in your book. And my question to you, I mean, this could be hospitality related. I, I think this stretches beyond because this, in, this work environment is weird for a lot of industries flexible, hybrid, fully remote, like in person. I mean, your hospitality is mostly probably in person, except you probably have some office administration people maybe working remote, but other industries are like almost fully remote. And it makes it complicated when you add in technologies and other ways of communication. Like you have the daily huddles, but you know, fully remote workplace, they rely on chat and you know, Teams and Slack and all that stuff and email. And I just feel like there's communication breakdown and it's not consistent. Is there a way in which you think communication could be way more meaningful and effective when you're going from leadership level, manager, and even employee level? You know, I think even though it feels weird to have a huddle and, you know, video chat in the morning, 
you know, I think the interaction and the seeing of people and asking people to disconnect from chat, you know, one of the things that I've noticed through that process, a lot of people have side conversations while they're having a conversation in person, right? So finding that time to really speak to the person that's on the other side of it and have them fully listen and you do the same, you know, that's going to help elevate things. And, and again, I think there's so many platforms to communicate now, especially if you're at home, that people aren't always in tune to what's in front of them or what they should be. It's, it's kind of like doing it all at once. So actually finding that time to really do have those conversations and really set time apart. You know, again, because an email, people read pieces of that. Oh, I do it all the time. Right. If you're staring somebody in the <laughs> face and you're saying, look, this is the excitement's coming this week. I need this out of you guys. And you're talking like this. People get energized, excited about that. If they read it in an email or a Slack or a little message, they're going to be like, oh, okay, what's the next thing? So um, taking that time to see each other, hear each other and support each other, whether it's in person or in video uh, for many of you, uh, it's important to do that. What's the format and or cadence for how leadership, you know, top level leadership should be communicating really important business information to all employees? You know, there's always that saying that this could have been an email. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of times we feel like we should have a meeting to communicate things. Right. And I don't think that's always the truth. And the reason I say that is this. You can still have a meeting, but it should be one-on-one. And what I mean by that is this. Let's say I need X done by next week, next Tuesday. I can communicate that to the whole team, but then review the information, the expectations one-on-one. That way, if there's things that apply to one group or one department, they're getting 10 minutes of my time instead of wasting an hour. Um, And so if you say, look, these are what I need. I need it by here. I'm going to meet with you each one-on-one. I'll check in with you. If you have any questions, ask me then. That's showing that your team that you care, that you're more worried about their time than your time. And I think a lot of time leaders think the opposite. They think everyone should come to me, listen to me, do things on my terms. And it should really be the opposite. I should be thinking about, does that hour add value or just 10 minutes of that hour add value? And how can I make the adjustment to make sure they get what they need mm-hmm. from me? You have some really good ideas in the book about collecting suggestions from people. And I think in your industry, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it's really important for your contributor level people, the ones that are daily interacting with customers and seeing the culture and the service and everything at the ground level, um, getting suggestions and comments from those people is really important. It's the, the feedback is really important. How do you collect that? And then what do you do with it? You know, you get suggestions. You don't want to just sit on it and do absolutely nothing. You want to make sure that they feel heard and then maybe do something with it if there's actionable steps. But give me some perspective there. Yeah. So, you know, I, I talk about in the book the importance of creating uh, communicative avenues for people's comfortability level. So, you know, you can do something like a culture committee or coffee and questions with the leader, which allows people to communicate in a public setting. You know, and I talk about, I think in the book, you know, how, you know, as a kid, you know, if you're with your sister and your parent, you want to tattle on your sister, you go to your mom and your dad's there so you can get support and getting them in trouble. And the same thing with communicating in a group, right? People want to feel like other people agree or believe what they believe. And so when you have that conversation with multiple people in the room, it allows people to feel comfortable to do that. But then there's the other side where people don't feel comfortable being in a group, don't want to be known for what they actually said. They just want to put it out there and see what we're going to do about it or if we're going to do anything at all. And so the suggestion box, which, you know, you can buy one of those on Amazon for 20 bucks. When you get one of those, it allows people that want to be a little more private. 
don't want everyone to know who it is to still put things down on paper. And then again, the most important one is walking around because as a leader, it's so important that you actively listen and take immediate action. And so with all of these things, if we're just listening and do nothing with it, we break down trust. People just don't believe anything's going to change. And so they'll either leave or they'll stop voicing it. You know, it's so important to make sure that you do that. So what I always do with all of these things, whether it's culture committee, suggestion box, walkabouts, whatever, I put a poster up that tells people what the suggestions were and then what actions we took. And mm -hmm. look, we don't always do everything, Love right? That. You can consider and act on it, but it doesn't yep. always happen. Some things aren't doable. But if you explain why you can't do it, they at least know that you heard it and that you tried or that you can provide that. Yeah, so, that's really fascinating. Yeah, there's just so there's so many examples of that and and, and they could be used in, in all industries that way. But again, the key is to actively listen and take immediate mm -hmm. action and make sure that the team knows you did it. Yeah, we at the company I work for, Zenium, and who you know hosts this podcast, we do an annual survey called the What People Want from Work Survey. We we offer it for all, obviously internal employees, but we do it for our clients and anybody really that wants to participate is for free. And you know, with any employee engagement survey, you're trying to get the gift of feedback from your employees. Like you're trying to make it like anonymous in a way that they can offer up any suggestions that they have with no fear of retaliation of any sort, right? And the, in the hope that you would do something with it. So I always tell participating companies because I run this survey, I always tell them like, the worst thing that you can do is collect this feedback and then talk about it as an executive team, senior leadership team, whatever, and then do absolutely nothing with it or just not communicate it and then do nothing with it. Don't do it in a vacuum. Even if you just have to communicate high level themes and then say, we heard you and here, here are the steps. We can't do everything or like, here's what the plan is just to be able to communicate something back to your employees. Like, hey, we heard you and now here's the action plan. Simple, right? What came to mind for your industry and, and others like it is if you have a suggestion box and let's say you wanted to publish all the suggestions in one area. Maybe you put it on a board or something and then allow people like maybe put a pen or something next to it. Like people can tally next to it. Okay, oh, yeah, I, I didn't think of that. Like, but that sounds great. That would make a great workplace. Like, let's, I'm going to tally next to it. And then maybe you focus on the ones with the most tallies. And, you, and then as an executive team, you take action on those first or something like maybe that's tier one priority or something. I don't know. Just that that came to mind for me. Like, hey, how could you get hyper-focused on what suggestions? Because, you know, one suggestion could totally derail you into like thinking like that's the most important thing. But just because the squeaky wheel, get, you know, you don't want to necessarily give it the grease all the time. <laughs> like, Yeah, totally right. It could just be one comment. Exactly right. It could be one voice. And, and I think as you're in whatever industry you're in, you kind of know what that is and what isn't you know and you know also from whether it's from who it is or or which department or whatever you kind of know what's kind of a silly thing or something that's really super important and especially too if you see it more often right if you you know i just had a recent suggestion that happened twice and i'm like okay well this obviously is important to multiple people so it's time that we take action but yeah i mean to be honest with you in my industry and, and at the property i'm currently overseeing if i see something on there that i can do anything with i go do it that day I don't waste any time. I don't, I don't even like have a round table about it. I just go fix it. So whether it's, you know, our inventory is down for linen, whether it's, you know, our trash is overpiling and we need to get a, a larger unit, whether it's they want to get a toaster oven in the break room, I'll go to Walmart and buy it and it'll be in there yeah. that day. So it's just like quick action. And then people are like, oh, wow, if he's going to do that, 
what else can yeah. I mention? You know? Well, what's what's crazy is some of these employees, because they didn't feel like they had a voice or it's not a safe environment, whatever it may be, like they just don't give that feedback. They could have been stewing on that thing forever. Like this equipment doesn't work, but I don't want to bother my manager about it because I don't want to get in trouble or whatever. But like that could make the difference in their happiness and engagement at work. Totally. And we have something called a, a pass along that a lot of departments will do at the end of their shift. And uh, we also use that as a tool to listen and, and support because a lot of times those are the things that they went through operationally. It's not even necessarily like a want, it's a need. And sometimes we can, be, again, going back to emails and just breezing through it, we can almost get complacent with all the value information that's in there. So it's important that we do come through it and see what's being asked or mentioned so that we can address it and move forward. With your industry, I don't know how big your organization is and if you have different departments, you know, like housekeeping and maybe restaurant, bar, all that stuff. But um, how do you keep teams cohesive and engaged, especially when you have multi-departments that may be operating in silos, but you're all trying to, you know, create an environment where the customers are taken care of and everybody's happy? Like, how do you do that? You know, again, the huddle, a lot of times it goes back to that. And the reason for it is because it's usually the department leaders that are there. And then we also invite employees too. But that allows everyone to connect. But then, you know, there's also opportunities beyond that. So, you know, if you start to notice that things aren't working operationally with maybe two departments, then maybe you have a bi-departmental conversation or a meeting or a quick connection so that you guys can get on the same page. Because ultimately, what any company realizes is that their employees care a lot and they want the right things to happen so they can do their job at the best level. So if we don't look at feedback as negative or petty or problematic and we look at it as an opportunity, there's things to solve every day. And I talk about in the book how you don't want to be a problem identifier, but rather a solver. And so again, yeah, having that department you know, meeting with housekeeping and front desk or front desk and sales or whoever it is that needs to just take that time to get realigned. Finding those opportunities and doing it beyond the normal consistent schedule side of things is important to be comfortable to do. It's all about making the adjustment, you know? Yeah. I honestly believe, you know, managers and leaders of organizations, they they want good, healthy cultures, but a lot of people are just so drugged down in the weeds of what they like to maybe working managers or they're just the they're worried about the chaos of their their day-to-day job, just like anybody else. So they're spread thin and they don't know where to start with some of this stuff. I mean, if you could think of, I don't know, one or two like simple things that leaders who might be listening to this podcast could implement in their workplace to make all the difference. Like, where would you start? You know, I think it's most important to get out of your office. And I talk about the importance of that and the walkabouts. And again, employees ultimately just want to be seen, heard, and supported. So the best thing that you can do is find ways to do that. And again, maybe the things that I've talked about, suggestion box, you know, coffee and questions, stuff like that doesn't work. But you can, as restaurants say, table touch and connect with people on desks or have those, you know, one-on-ones that you normally wouldn't do. You know, I do one-on-ones quarterly. Some people do one-on-ones every week you know, depending on the need and and the size of the company, you know, finding the time to build the relationships, take people out to lunch, like just switch up things and don't get so caught up in getting through the day and finding the time to listen and and then do something with it, right? Like I had one-on-ones with two departmental managers last week. It's so easy to take that information, put it on my desk and move on to the next thing. But if they see that immediately following that meeting, I send an email these three things are already handled. We'll work towards these two by next week. When they see that I'm taking accountability for solving or supporting their concerns, they just feel better about everything, right? Because you don't want to be on an island alone. You don't want to feel like your manager's 
got you under a microscope. You want to feel like they're hand in hand supporting you. And I just try to do that as much as I can, whether again, it's taking them out to lunch and just talking, it's walking around and pointing out the good. And I think that is really what changes everything because when you're seen and they feel seen because you're there, I mean, isn't that what we all want? Right. We just want to feel like what we're doing matters and that there's an impact. And, yeah. and as a leader, if you can communicate that every single day, then that's going to change the culture. Again, and I always joke, like, you know, in my industry, a lot of people celebrate national holidays, whether it's like lollipop day or soft pretzel day. And it's like, nobody's going to take a job and be like, all right, guys, so do you celebrate lollipop day? Because if you do, I'm coming to work for you. Like, nobody cares about that. They just want to make sure that what they're doing matters, that it's noticed, and that they have an opportunity to elevate that company in some fashion. And um, if you listen to your team, you empower your team, that's going to change it. Nothing, nothing on the walls, nothing in, on the, you know, the paint, nothing, no gifts. That stuff is nice. Pizza parties are nice. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. But it's about, yeah, right. But it's about the relationships and, and showing yeah. care. James, how did you get where you are? Like, why does your brain work this way? Meaning like, why do you want to create a great workplace? Who inspired you? Like what inspires you to what, like to, to make a great workplace the way it is? Is it what you always wanted as an employee and you never got it? Is it just trying to make change in the industry? Like what, why are you doing the work that you're doing? You know, I say in the book and I say to my colleagues all the time, learn from everybody, learn from the good and the bad. Everybody teaches you something, whether it's your family, your friends or your colleagues. And uh, yeah, you know, my industry, like I said, has been struggling with culture for a long time because of the way that we focus our energy. So dealing with a lot of different hotels, ownership groups and people that don't value the things that I do and seeing the impact I felt as a person and seeing the impact on others, you know, I decided that I didn't want to be like that person, like that hotel. And I wanted to be the change I wanted to see. And so I started to look up things and find different things to try and made mistakes. And so the book is basically like, here's all the things I did well at. Here's some examples of people or or even myself where I made mistakes. And if you do these things, you're going to have better success. You're going to be able to focus your energy and create the consistency you want. And uh, I just get excited about helping people see the potential in themselves and the potential in what they're doing and giving them an easier road to get there. My hope is that the book does that for people in my industry and beyond, because you know the things I talk about in the book, while they're specific to my hotel experience, are definitely examples that can be applied anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. James, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and adding so much value to the audience. What do you want to say in parting, point people to something like the floor is yours? Sure. So yeah, if you guys want to check out my website, it's called the confetti culture playbook.com on there. You can get the book, you know, there's a podcast and there's a lot of resources as well. Uh, so things I talk about in the book, like the leadership review, there's one-on-one questions, there's uh, the five piece proactive plan. And like I said, reach out to me if you want that, that huddle outline as well. Um, but there's just a lot of great value there. And, you know, right now I'm looking to speak more. So if you're interested in, you know, having me be an engaging and energetic speaker for your conference or your team, you know, definitely reach out at the website as well. My guest today has been James Ferguson. He's the author of the Confetti Culture Playbook, how to boost your team's contribution and impact. James, thanks for being part of the show. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. See ya. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. 
Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.